Hello and welcome. I am your host, Kirsty, and this is Leadership Odysseys. We're embarking on a mission to bridge the gap between aspiration and reality, offering a raw and unfiltered exploration of the behind the scenes challenges that shape true leadership. Join us as we share stories of resilience, turning points, and authentic human experiences that remind us greatness is a product of the entire odyssey, not just the destination. Welcome to Leadership Odysseys, where we delve into the transformative journeys of visionary leaders. Today, we unveil the remarkable odyssey of Bruno Morel an influential figure in the ever-evolving landscape of leadership and dedicated philanthropy. Bruno is a trailblazer, with over four decades of navigating the realms of impactful leadership. As the Executive Chairman of CGL Retail Services, he leads the innovative journey of creative activation and Cleminger Field Marketing. Bruno has steered Australia's foremost brands towards the horizon of success, leading employees in the retail domain across Australia and New Zealand. Bruno's strategic brilliance and unwavering commitment has revolutionised the customer experience, propelling brands to unprecedented heights. However, Bruno's endeavours extend far beyond the boardrooms. He is a driving force behind Tour de Cure, a beacon of hope in the fight against cancer. Under his stewardship, Tour de Cure has raised an astounding $114 million, powering 823 cancer projects and funding 139 groundbreaking breakthroughs in cancer research. Bruno's resolute dedication to the cause has left a lasting mark underscoring the transformative power of determination. Today, we embark on an extraordinary journey through Bruno Morel's narrative, a tapestry interwoven with corporate acumen, philanthropic fashion, and an unyielding commitment to serve humanity. Join us as we uncover the remarkable leadership and explore the profound impact of Bruno's tireless efforts. Welcome to a captivating odyssey with a true maestro of leadership. Let's welcome Bruno Morel. Welcome, Bruno, to Leadership Odysseys. Hi, Kirsty. Really looking forward to talking to you today. Oh, and it's so nice to be out here at your incredible office. What a stunning day to be sitting here on the pier at Welsh Bay. So I probably met you, it would have been around four years ago, give or take, and you're Colin Brown, who is in your team as well, where myself and my team at Afterpay were on this purpose-led mission to paint Australia and New Zealand Bondi Mint and create some, you know, real brand awareness for Afterpay in the market marketplace. I love that your team embraced the challenge of walking into every shop front in the country to ensure that we had strength in our brand alignment. And I suppose when you're delivering projects of that scale, you really do build partnerships and friendships that truly last a lifetime. So it's been so wonderful to get to know you. We still live the Bondi Mint, very much part of us today. And I think fourth year and we're still loving the project and working as a team. Yeah, I think I just saw, and, and not with Afterpay anymore, but did just see the, the big impact of all of those fresh decals landing in the market. So your team do a phenomenal job. No, 
you know, our field team is really where the rubber meets the road and they are so passionate about our clients' business, especially when you have great partnerships with clients that really spell out what it is that they want to achieve, then we can really get out there and make it happen. So it's a partnership thing. Absolutely. And solving some great problems to absolutely enhance these incredible brands. So Bruno, you've had a 45 year leadership journey. So let's embark on your transformative journey and ask where did it all begin? Who is Bruno Morell? Good question. I think Bruno Morell's a young kid that came out from Mauritius at the age of 10 and was presented with Australia, which is provides so much opportunity for any young person. I went through high school and then, like every 17-year-old, didn't know where, what I was going to do. So I joined uh, Woolworths as a trainee manager while I was waiting to join the police force. Anyway, I stayed on with Woolies and went through the whole management program, area management, and then at the age of 28, I decided that I needed a change, I needed a challenge, something different. So I joined a culture development organisation, something totally out of my comfort. And it probably was the pivotal point in my life because I started to understand about leadership. I started to understand about the importance of values and culture and so forth. And whilst I was there for only three and a half, four years before I came back into retail that I missed, um, I learned so much about the importance of shared leadership and people. And those philosophies have stayed with me forever. And that's what I've applied throughout my life in retail, back in retail. Yeah, fantastic. So it sounds like, how long were you there for? I was there for four years. Mm -hmm. And seriously, I was like a duck out of water. There were days there where, you know, I would go home and cry because it just was so different and it required me to be somebody that, you know, I really hadn't learned to be. But reading books learning it was like a university on steroids made such a difference into my life so I've got a lot to be thankful for what I learned during that period. Yeah and how did that opportunity come your way? Well it started with me looking at Woolies and saying I've been there 12 years I've learned a hell of a lot but I also know that that's not where I want to spend the rest of my life and I then either had to go to a university or do something different. And typical Bruno fashion, I decided to do something different, which was joining this culture organisation that I knew nothing about. And that's where I learned to about psychology, people management, cultures, large organisation. And I worked with a whole lot of consultants who really sort of treated me as somebody who was just like a servant to the business. I think I think it's those hard lessons that you learn that you actually take with you. But I also learned all the things that they taught me, which was amazing. Yeah. And are you you able to share with our audience what some of those learnings were? Without a doubt, I still talk about it today. I talk about servant leadership. But what I learned, they were running a leadership development program and team building programs. And with both of those, it really highlighted the need to know where you were going 
and what are the values of the organisation and how do you bring teams together uh, for them to function without uh, having, if you like, silos within the organisation. So learning shared leadership and starting with the leadership team and from there I really understood that that's where the culture of an organisation is formed. It's not formed at the coalface, it's formed from a boardroom into the leadership of the organisation and through the management. And it's those core things that I then applied right through every organisation that I've led. Yeah, wow. So it really was a significant time in your life that probably changed that path forward completely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So you had your time there. And then what was the next step? Well, the next step was, again, challenge myself to another. So I joined a franchise company, which was Pennywise at the time, which was back in retail. I had a phone call from a friend to invite me back. That ended up being a disaster. Well, actually, Pennywise, they set out to be the cheapest and it's really catalogue, ordering your groceries via catalogue and having franchisees pick and pack it. It it actually went under. It went into receivership and here I was organising more franchisees and I had my car repossessed, my desk taken away from me and at a critical time of our life where we were expecting our first child we were doing home renovations I had no job so again great lesson because I then started to look for a job but I was either overqualified or underqualified same stories right and one of the senior managers ex-Woolworths then came and tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to join Bilo where I spent about eight years running a number of stores and learned a hell of a lot then I was ready for the next challenge so a lot of the senior management from Bilo started a company called Giant Supermarket up in Queensland so packed up took the family up there only for the owner of that organization to sell it back to Franklin's and I just couldn't go back to another retail so I went into marketing and then finally came into creative where because I wanted to have ownership in an organisation and I wanted to create the culture that was important to me. And having worked for so many different organisations and not being able to do that, that was a really, really key component that I needed to do. Yeah, and during that time, was there key leadership that you worked under that actually played a part in how you were growing as a leader as well? I look... I learned from so many amazing people, right? It's really interesting. I can take you through every one of those organisations and I can call out people that have influenced me in a positive way and people that have shown me what not to do. But you've got to start with the original basis that you can learn from everybody. And there are some amazing people that I'm still in touch with day in, day out now. I could pick up the phone from 20 years ago that it'll be like yesterday we talked, right? Because they mean so much to me and the lessons that they taught me are still with me today. Yes, fantastic. And it's coming up a lot actually in the podcast of you don't realise those true value of those people or those mentors in your life until years later, Mm. really, when you look back and you go, yeah, they were 
They were definitely played a, a very pivotal role in, in the key decisions that were being made and, and influencing yourself personally and professionally as well. Oh, massively. I still remember being appointed as a business manager in Bilo and it, it, there was a, a gentleman called Angus Richards and he was the CEO at the time. And he called me in to say, look, you know, you're very young for this role that we're appointing you to. However, the most important message, Bruno, is never forget who you are and where you came from. And I still remember that, right, just seeing him there, just saying those words. That was, that was a short sentence, but it does stay with you. Those things stay with you forever. Yeah, they truly do. Mm. So you're on this mission to head into the creative landscape. Where did you start making your mark there? Well, when I joined Creative, we were what they used to call a cooking department. So with my vision that I had to have ownership into the business, I left a, a good organisation where I was a leader, but they would not allow me to buy into the organisation. So I joined Creative and there were three partners there and one of them was a close friend of mine that we'd been friends for years and I had to join and be an employee for three years before they would make me a partner. A year and a half into the journey, he calls me up as pale as a ghost and he said the company's going into receivership. And again, it was one of those moments where you go, what is going on here? But he and I then stayed on because he he was about to lose everything. He's a really close friend of mine. Sean's been a a pioneer and I've learned so much from him we stayed on and the two of us then resuscitated the company over the course of three to four years where he allowed me to buy into the organization so I'm forever grateful to Sean we stood by each other he ran one part of a business which was the creative side I then evolved the field marketing side which then grew to be 5,000 people working with some of the world's leading brand, which is uh, a tribute to the team that I've had. Yeah, wow, that's a pretty phenomenal turnaround. And it sounds like you've had multiple stages of adversity really strike in your journey as well. I have to ask, what have you done personally behind the scenes of that to keep a healthy mindset and actually push yourself through those challenging times? It's funny you say that. I think few minutes ago I showed you the Optimus Creed uh, which I am a big believer in you have to have an optimist view of the world if you don't then it will get on top of you I think if you have faith hope and love I think you can do amazing things and throughout life tenacity is, is really key and being true to people around you and I think that's what's made such a big difference. You decided to roll your sleeves up, get right into it, rebuild the company from the ground up, and it stands today, did you say 5,000 team members? That's a pretty incredible accolade and one to be exceptionally proud of. So you have to tell everyone a little bit about what you do in this space right now what does the field marketing team and the you know retail side do today well we we represent some of the world's leading brands 
We provide the field staff, so the field execution at retail, be that merchandising, be that a sales representative, an ambassador or mystery shopping. So we set out to be the best field marketing, the leading field marketing organisation in Australia. That was our goal when we were only about four of us together. And over the years, we never marketed. Our clients just took us, as they left an organisation, we developed such great partnership with us that they'd take us to the next organisation and the next organisation. I think that's just stopping you there for two seconds and I don't want to lose your train of thought. But a marketing company that is so prominent here in Australia and New Zealand that hasn't had the need to do their own marketing due to the proposition you're leaving in the market, that's I think, incredible. I think, again, it's the, the partnership that you built with them, right, where you had their back, they had your back, and each day we set out to be better than we were yesterday and we made sure that the organisation was successful at retail. If I look at the history of it, I think my going back to my culture development, I really believe that if you have the best people and you get them focused to deliver the best results, the rest take care of themselves. So we had a, a thing called best people, best result positioning and what that meant was that we had to take it right back to how we recruit, how we train, how we measure people and how we reward people. So I call that the best people framework. So that was our first piece. Then I think it's about having a passion for your client's customers, not just your client because if you focus on the customer of your client, by definition, they'll love you anyway. So it was forever we talked about now the client partnership framework, which was in 12 months' time, what does success look like? Let's really quantify that and agree up front what that is, and then let's build a one-page plan to deliver against that. So that became a really key part of the organisation. And the third one was around technology, how do you measure, because what gets measured gets delivered, how do you actually measure the outcomes that you're setting out to do and both look at things in a transparent way? So, for example, when we were executing for Afterpay, the same day as the activity took place, you could see what was happening across 44,000 stores, right? In an instant. So that transparency, when I first brought that into the organisation, people said, you're mad, clients are going to know the ones that you are not calling on. And I said, actually, I'm not. They're going to see the ones that we are calling on, the ones that we're not calling on or not doing a great job. They're the ones that we should both be working on to say, why not? Mm. So that the essence of that authenticity is really what permeates through creative activation 25 years later yeah and I have to say when you're delivering the projects that you do at the the scale that you do as well there is a, a lot of funding that goes behind that so to be able to provide the right reporting mechanism that level of trust comes through that calmness that comes through in that execution that you can physically see everything that's happening mm. putting you know my after pay hat on that was 
best experience every morning of looking in the inbox and there's this dashboard that's telling me exactly where we've been or where your team have been where you know a photo of every single one of those shop fronts the execution that was delivered um, versus the ones that weren't and I got real-time feedback which was phenomenal so I think to be able to bring that level of innovation in to that marketing space it, it really would have been a game changer for you all those years ago. It was. If, if I look back at the reporting mechanism back when we first started, you know, it was clunky. It was four pieces of technology that we had to put together for it to work on the phone versus what it is today. But I think the other, the other really important thing is it also is real because I think organisations forget that there is 500 or 700 people executing real people with real challenges in life executing their program in any given day and when you can see Sally there or Tommy there and all the different people it it starts giving you an understanding of that there is somebody out there that cares about your brand and representing you at field level and I think it's easily forgotten in the haste of a large organization saying oh we just do stuff we don't just do stuff we need to be passionate about what we do and execute with that passion yeah that's pretty pretty incredible and so you're here today you've got your 5,000 team members I am going to ask because it it does stand out and you you've briefly spoken about it but you've got some very strong values that you hold within the organization are you able to share those values well I think uh, each organization that I have clearly articulates the vision in a very simple way, the mission in a simple way and the values. And I really link in the fact that the values is how we as a team behave. So in creative activation, our values are purple, you know, which is partnership, unity, respect, positivity, laughter and excellence. And we expect everybody to live and breathe those values. And if I ever don't, or my senior team don't, then nobody will. If I look at Tour de Cure, for example, we've got, you know, caring, and here I am wearing the bracelets, right? So uh, they're great. But, but caring really stands around courage, achievement, respect, inclusivity, nurturing, and growth. And irrespective of the 10,000 people out there, We have awards around caring every month. We talk about caring in everything that we do. We talk about the values, each one of those letters, not the word caring, right? That's the key to an organisation that living and breathing something that you're passionate about. And living and breathing, I think, is the ultimate key there, that that's not just on a wall and it's not just spoken about every now and again at a town hall. It is Daily. part of who everyone is in how they actually show up every single day, whether that's internal or external as well, so that there is that alignment of, you know, everyone understands the value that they actually bring to the organisation and vice versa. 100%. Yeah, that's uh, pretty remarkable to have that because so many companies have some exceptional values, but it definitely does not showcase through in the the team or or in actually how they're delivering in their work as well. Well, in fact, you know, one of the uh, things that I talk to to my friends or younger generation, 
I actually asked them what what is, what are the values within their marriage. You know, so you've got two people coming from totally different backgrounds and so forth that have come together and all of a sudden they're having children and what are the values of that particular family? So in ours, so similar to what I did with Purple and Tour de Cure and so forth, ours are five fingers and I can show my kids any one of the five fingers and they know what it, what it means. So... I'm blessed because our kids today uh, live and breathe those values and they mean so much to us. So I think you can take it beyond the boardroom and beyond the organisation. I think it's more important when it's sitting within your personal life. Absolutely. And what are those five values that you hold as a family or is that something for the family? (laughs) No, no, no. no. I, I think love God. Love your family, say no to drug, give everything 100% and treat other people as you'd want them to be, as you'd I want to be that. treated. So, and, you know, I look at my kids today and uh, I'm so proud because they, but, you know, we'd refer to those and we'd point to those fingers and they knew which ones it was. So that's as simple as that. Yeah, that is excellent. And so you, you, you know, very passionate about balancing all the different hats that you wear in life. How have you balanced that through leading such a strong corporate career with raising a family, being there for your friends and, you know, all the different areas that you you juggle outside of work as well, the ministry? How have you managed to ensure that you give the right level of time to each one of those? You know, it's funny you say that. Many, many years ago, I started setting goals and most of us set goals in one part of our life whereas if you're really clear on what does five years time look like and how do I get there it's important to balance all the areas of your life you know if you're just a one-trick pony you're very miserable in other parts of your life so for me life has at least six pillars and they'll vary depending on the person Firstly, if you don't have your health, you can't do anything, right? Then you have family, which is really, really important. Then you start thinking about finance. You have to be able to fund whatever lifestyle you have. Then you think about spirituality or community. What are you doing for other people? And then, of course, there is learning and development. How are you learning and developing as a person? So when you start looking at the pillars, what I actually do each year is I actually spend the best part of a month planning out my whole year and how that's taking me to my next goal. And therefore, they're the big rocks in my life. And even if you look at family, I think most of us bucket it as one bucket. Yet within the family, I need to spend time with my mum. I need to spend time with my wife. I need to spend time with each child and give them some sort of time frame, same as whether it's church or whether it's work, different businesses. So when you start planning that out, it not only tells you what you... It starts putting a value on your time and therefore you can't afford to waste time because it's our biggest asset, right? So... 
as much as it tells you what to do, it also helps you determine what not to do. So that when somebody comes in and says, you know, here's a red shiny car, come and spend it with me, I can make a really quick decision. I look at that and I say, that is a really beautiful shiny car, but no, it's not me. So that's how I use it. That is fantastic advice for everyone listening. You are spot on that a lot of people are focused on setting those career goals or a couple of personal goals, but actually being able to break that down, it is a bit like a personal strategy that you're building from the ground up, but it is helping you make those decisions, as you, you mentioned, because so very quickly the year just goes by again and yeah you might have got to those one or two bigger rocks that you've been chasing but to have all those little elements along the way and ensuring that all the people in your life that you've been able to provide that level of time because time is the biggest gift for all of us is something that I know that's actually where you're probably going to sit there and go, I've got a very full heart at the end of that year. And I I do feel like I'm successful, not because of just what we've delivered at work, but balancing all of those different elements and and everyone knowing that that you're a bigger picture. You're not just the Bruno that shows up to work or the Bruno that's at home as well. I I think it's so important because, again, you see a lot of very successful people, but their home life's not right or their health's not right or they're they're not enjoying what they're doing. So at the top of that page where I sort of share with people how to start there, I say you have one life. You have to create it because no matter what, it's going to happen. So I'd rather it be the life that I choose rather than it's been chosen for me. Yeah, that's incredible. So can we go right into that because I know how passionate you are about this particular topic and before I turn the record button on we were having a great discussion of this two-day workshop that you are actually building with your team here and have been doing for quite some time are you able to dive into that a little bit I I often uh, talk about the servant leadership journey I think leadership The big difference between leadership and management is management is a title or a role. Leadership is actually where you are serving the organisation. So I very much talk about the inverted pyramid where I am at the bottom of all my organisations. And the minute that you see yourself serving them, it really gets you to start thinking about what is leadership and what are those aspects. And for me, the the starting point of that is personal leadership. How well do you really know yourself? Because who's going to follow somebody who isn't self-disciplined and does not know themselves, right? So, yes, you can manage, be a manager, but you can't be a leader. Mm-hmm. The second is if for people to uh, follow you, they must know where you're going. So your ability to create that vision for them and say, this is our destination And this is how we're going to actually behave and go there, which is really the third part of it, which is the culture where your vision, your mission and your values come together. But they only move forward through the leadership of the organisation, right? So so that's the culture piece. Then the fourth key part is really about empathy. How... You know, people are your biggest asset, right? You can't. 100%. You can't 
go out there and just hire the best people. You've got to actually train and develop the best people because, again, I talk about people and environment is equal to behaviour. So if you put a good person in a bad environment, you're not going to get the best behaviour. Similarly, if you get bad people and put them in a good environment, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get good behaviour. So you actually need the leadership and the action to take place there. So that's your culture piece. Empathy is such an important part of communication and people, the interaction within your organisation. So how do you train people to lead with empathy? How do you train the people to get to the root cause of issues? Because quite often we react to the symptoms, not the root cause. So very true. And the last one is around what I call so what. You can have vision, mission, self-leadership and so forth, but if there's no action at the end of a day, and I, not just action but disciplined action, then all you've got are words. You haven't got actually an organisation that's moving in an agile way with a clear purpose in mind. Yeah, very, very powerful comments that you've just said there as well. One of them that you mentioned there was around that training and coaching. And I'm not going to say that there is a gap in the market right now, but there definitely is, I suppose, so many people are busy every single day. The way their calendars with back-to-back meetings they, you know, they've got a team that they're leading. They've got documents that need to be, you know, put forward. What would be your advice for leaders to ensure that they're making that quality time of training and coaching their team and their people? And why I ask that is it can be easy for a lot of people to go, well, that's too hard to, to spend that quality of time with them. I'll just go find someone else that's got that skill versus the rewards you can get in a company by actually investing in your people and taking them on a plan over a 12-month period is priceless. It's, it's funny because my senior leaders and MDs of some of my organisation often go, this person's not great or this person's not good. Yada, yada. And I, I always say, mate, think of a gun. When you're pointing to somebody, there's three fingers pointing at you. So if you think you can go out there and hire superstars, good luck. A, the market doesn't have them. B, you can hire an amazing person, but if your culture sucks, there's no way that person will either stay with you or perform to their best. I look at all the organisations and I say I'm fortunate enough to have ordinary people that do extraordinary things. That is brilliant. (laughs) And it's my job to create, turn ordinary people into extraordinary people by living and breathing the coaching mentality. And if I don't do that, I've got nobody to blame. I am the leader or I am a manager, and I know which one I'd rather be. In taking ownership, and at the end of the day, that is leadership. It's taking that complete ownership to invest in making that change versus moving something on that's in the too hard. And and, and also leaving the legacy. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to get remembered for how much money you 
made for an organisation or did, you're going to you're going to actually be remembered for the people that you've left in the organisation that are now leading the organisation. Point number one. Point number two. Your only legacy in life are your children, right? Because what else have you done? What else do you want to be remembered for? Because we're only going to get remembered till the next generation, if we're lucky. Yeah, that's funny. My husband and I were having a discussion on this the other day with our children about that exact thing of, of really being able to show the value and how we all choose to show up in the world and, and what we pass on to mm. those next generations for, for that exact reason, that it's then up to them to carry that forward as well. But no, I, I think that's a very, very powerful message and, you know, one that all leaders need to really reflect on, I think, if, you know, one, they want to be able to grow, but also how we make other people feel. They're going home to families as well. So the role we're actually playing in leadership is bigger than just the team that's standing there in front of us. It actually is the thousands or millions of other people that are impacted by that, by that person feeling like they're in that psychological safety environment within the workplace and therefore go home with a happy heart every single yeah. day, even when it's tough. And and at times they are going through real tough time and your ability to understand and be able to walk in their shoes means that you have to temper what you're asking them to do at different stages along the way and vice versa they will reciprocate that tenfold when the time's right for them as well so it's a give and take. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, Bruno. Thank you so much for sharing that right to the level of where that sits with your family as well, which is pretty remarkable. I want to take a moment to introduce you to Naturally Gloom-Free, where lifestyle meets quality. Naturally Gloom-Free is a boutique bakery committed to crafting exceptional gloom-free products that are produced with high-quality natural ingredients and free from all additives and preservatives. When you are seeking to transform your menu or source a premium gloom-free product, Naturally Gloom-Free invites you to connect with them via their website, naturallygloomfree.com.au. Now, I am going to ask, under your leadership, to a cure. This is a big one and you haven't mentioned this in your journey to, so far in what we've discussed, but that is pretty significant. So I'm going to ask you to really go into this part and because how many years have you been with Tua de Kua? I think, I think we're on year 17 or something. So it was since 2005. I was invited by the three people that started Tua de Kua, Gary, Sam and Jeff to join and lead the board and yes been a very important part of my life i've spent many hours there but i've probably been rewarded tenfold from you know from the time that we spent together you've been there for your 17 years it's 114 million dollars that has been raised that is significant can you share with our audience a little bit about what Tua de Cure does and, and what you know their whole purpose and mission is, but also to be able to lead a team of volunteers as well. These are you know a lot of unpaid volunteers donating their time for genuine 
purpose to be able to solve for this horrible thing we call cancer and really get together. I mean, I've been to some of these events over the years and they are just spectacular. So let's dive right into this. Look, I think when we started Tour de Cure, we never positioned it to be a charity. We positioned it, my thoughts are it's a business trying to have a massive impact on cancer. And at the time when we started it, and it was a very small board, we never dreamt that it would be what it is today. And I guess it's taken a lot of different shapes along along the way. But so we ran it no different to any other organisation where we had a vision and we measured ourselves by three things, which we call the AAA, which was really awareness, ambassadors and achievements. So awareness, do people know that, you know, one out of three people will get cancer? Terrifying numbers, I have to say. It's, It's massive and it's now one in two, right? Then achievements was not about just the money that we raised, but it was around what have we done with the money? So what impact have we actually had? Hence why you talk about breakthroughs. And then ambassadors was how do we engage people to not only give us money but actually be start evolving this family, right? Because, again, I will always refer to, to it as a tour de cure family. And today you've heard me, that that's how we treat each other. And the, the money's been raised, and you talk about volunteers, we flow through we we had this mark where we had to finish with at least 70 percent of the money going direct to cancer projects not just given to somebody so specific projects that we felt had the best chance of impacting cancer so that mantra that we've had we've sort of evolved it over the years but more importantly the board has been hands-on they set the culture that then flowed on to committees, that then flowed on to the, the small headquarter team, people that worked non-stop and engaged people to come along the way. People that were riding had to raise money. If you were volunteering, you had to raise money. So it's just been an evolving, to watch it grow, it's just snowballed. And along the way, what we did was we went beyond the board being an eight-person board to then having committees which were specialist pillars along the way. So if you think about marketing, if you think about snowball, if you think about experts in where the money should go, uh, technology. So, you know, even though we had a board of nine people, we actually had 67 specialists dedicating their time and speciality to help us grow stronger and stronger. But I think that the the other bit that I think we shouldn't lose sight of, we've had amazing corporate partners, right? Corporate partners that have been with us for 15, 17, 18 years, right? I look at those people, they have just kept on giving. And not only were they giving us money, they were giving us their people. Not only were they doing that, they were actually our marketing, right? They were marketing us to the whole world. So when somebody would come to me and say, well, Bruno, what's the marketing budget? I'd say zero. 
now let's make it happen, right? And guess what? We did. Just like we'd never advertise Tour de Cure, we, we were blessed. Channel 7, Mark Beretta and the Sunrise crew, they took our brand into everybody's living room. So let's face it, we were lucky, right? But, but I think just on that, luck comes with a very strong story. Luck comes with resilience. Luck comes with actually reaching out and having a strong purpose and a why as well. And, and, and living it daily, Absolutely. right? And, you know, this year... You know, I'm so proud of the team. We'll, we raised 20 million this year and we'll do even more next year. And there hasn't been a year that we haven't grown year on year. And that's despite the COVID and everything else. But that shows you the sheer determination of everybody in Tour de Cure, their passion. And I look at it and I, I'm inspired by the people that are in Tour de Cure. Every time I go to an event and everything else, I'm not only in a family but I'm standing next to somebody who's inspiring me. So I feel blessed. Uh, it's incredibly inspirational. And to all of your committee members, board members, they just do a phenomenal job and all of you should be just so exceptionally proud. It's going to leave a legacy for a very, very long time to come, I'm I hope sure. so. I think the legacy we want is, you know, we want a world where all cancers are curable. We're fortunate today we've come such a long way that there are some cancers, there are many cancers that today you've got a huge chance of survival. But equally there are cancers like brain cancer, pancreatic and so forth where, you know, you're getting diagnosed today and you could be dead in a week's time. So there's still a lot of work to be done and we've got to get on top of those because nobody deserves to be diagnosed with a life sentence by visiting their doctor. Yeah, not at all. And so how can people actually get involved outside of the events? What can we share out there to our audience as well where they can get behind this? Look, every every single person can get behind it. You know, we're actively engaging volunteers every single day. We say, tell us what you want to volunteer. Join this family and your life. Well, one of the things that I remember was a guy by the name of Clint Bowen, who today is our largest fundraiser. He's an amazing man. He, he runs our experience committee. He's the chair of our experience committee. But his comment was that I remember him saying it and he says, I'm a better person for having joined Tour de Cure. And it's a sentence that you hear very often in different ways, but he was doing it on the stage, so it amplified the message. But it definitely is what happens with Tour de Cure. When you join it, you go there wanting to give, but as you and I know, it's in giving that we receive. That's not yeah, the purpose absolutely. for doing it. But the minute that you do, all of a sudden you receive tenfold. And that's our Tour de Cure family. Uh, that's what the corporates have received. That's what every individual receives. So to join, just get on the website, get in touch with Simon. We have actually volunteer uh, leaders. We've got an amazing lady in D, uh, Montague. Um, oh, yeah, your life will change. We'll make sure in our show notes that we do place all of that information so everyone can Excellent. go through as well. So I'm going to ask one more element around this because you were actually given the honour of receiving an Order of Australia medal 
and have OAM in your title as well. How was this recognition for you? Was this a, a pure highlight of your career? Uh, I have to say the reaction from everybody was uh, overwhelming and I didn't realise it was such an acknowledgement until something like that happens to you. But you also have to put that into perspective. Firstly, I received that on behalf of the Tour de Cure family. They are the ones that have done equal amount of work as I have. They've donated their time. They go and sell sausages. And so for me, the award, you know, belongs to them as much as it belongs to me. The second thing is you can get carried away thinking that all of a sudden you're special because let's face it, well, we are just human beings. And once you get over the euphoria of the, the award, it's a piece of recognition that sits on a shelf because we've got a long time to live and there's lots more that we need to do. So you can't rest on that as being your contribution. That was just part of your journey in life. So yes, it, it, it is meaningful. Yes, it's lovely to be recognised, but it at the end of the day, there's far more to living than you know having that award. Yeah, no, well, I think it's still pretty remarkable for you. And I think incredible to see that you know you do honor that we're saying that it's all the people in the village and community that you've had around you is the why you got that as well which is incredible so thank you for sharing that and i am going to ask just on the the whole lessons we we dived right into the whole servant side of leadership and you do invest incredible amounts of your team but is there any key lessons from your personal journey that you would want to put forward to the leaders of tomorrow? Gosh, lots. There, there are lots of lessons. I, look, I'm a huge believer in faith, hope and love. Firstly, you've got to understand what you believe in. And whilst faith, hope and love relates to my church upbringing, it also applies to people whether they have a church spiritual side or not. Do you really believe in making a difference and do you believe in people do the right thing? Do you hope to leave a place a better place than what you came into the world for? And then do you actually care for others? Because if you do, then I think everything follows from that. So I think that's just one of the philosophies that I have in life Um, and the rest just takes care the other thing is that there are lots of people around you that actually want to help you right if you're a caring person and throughout my life you're faced with challenges that you just don't know how to handle it right I've seen myself sitting in a corner going what the hell do I do here (laughs) and Once you've dusted yourself off and said a prayer, you then start listing down the people that could give you answers. And it's about asking questions and having the humility to go there and say, I actually don't know what I'm doing here. I need your help. And every single time I've had people help me. And I can't tell you the scale of some of those help that I've been given. So I feel very blessed. 
Yeah, excellent. No, I think that's pretty good lessons to be able to pass on. What advice would you say to give the leaders of tomorrow that opportunity to stop and reflect? Because it is a hard one. They don't know how to actually always hit that stop button. What would be your advice for just one thing that they could think of, especially as we're coming to a close of the year and, you know, 2024 is upon us, that they everyone could start doing to really start doing that self-reflection? Well, there's a great book called Leadership and Self-Deception and every one of us has got blind spots. So along the journey when I was doing, you know, the servant leadership, I would go to people I most respect and ask them to give me a rating in, you know, personal leadership, vision, empathy, culture and so forth. I was less worried about the score. I was more wanting to know why they gave me the score. And that receiving that feedback enables you to understand whether how you see yourself is actually how you actually behave, right? Because we've all got blind spots. Once, Once you get the feedback on the blind spot, then it's up to you whether you want to do anything about it right? So I've got a choice. I can just go, yeah, okay, fine. That's not me. Or I can actually say, actually, five people have told me that that's a blind spot. Now do I want to do anything about it or not? Right. And then that's a great spot to be able to reach out and get a mentor directly in that spot to be able to help grow as well. 100%. And, you know, mentors are so underrated, right? Every one of us has got somebody who can mentor them around them, it's whether they humble enough to go and ask for that help. Yeah, very, very true. Well, it has been an absolute honour having you on Leadership Odysseys. And as we conclude this captivating episode with yourself, Bruno, I just want to, yeah, just really highlight that we're reminded that great leadership extends way beyond the boardroom and, you know, your insights into achieving exceptional business outcomes while maintaining a strong commitment to philanthropy amplify a purpose-driven leadership that creates significant societal impact. So thank you so much for sharing your journey, your values, your life lessons with all of us here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kirsty. I've really enjoyed just sitting there. You know, you make it so easy for us to talk and have a conversation. Always love having a great conversation. Thank you so much, Bruno. Thank you for joining us on this incredible odyssey. Until next time, lead with courage, lead with heart, and keep exploring the remarkable world of leadership. Enjoyed the journey? Hit the subscribe button, rate us, and leave a review if our stories ignited your leadership spirit. Your feedback fuels our odyssey.